Thanks for joining us and supporting Vicky Doe Fitness. We ask for your continued support by becoming an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to www.vickydofitness.com forward slash join. Again, that's www.vickydofitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. And remember, keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about an emerging career opportunity in healthcare, and that is the field of physician assistant. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, employment in healthcare occupations is projected to grow 15% from now until 2029. Now joining us is Dr. Sharon Luke, an executive director for the Accreditation Review Commission on Education for the Physician Assistant, Inc. She will be sharing with us information about the field of physician assistance, what it takes to become one, and much, much more. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks Bright. How are you? Hello. Vicky Doe, how are you? I am fine. And we are back today doing our due. It'll be the end of the year before we blink. But we, we have, we're knocking the door of October in. It's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. I got bills to pay. Dude, I forgot about that. I got some bills I got to pay by the first. There's always bills. <laughs> always some Williams. I call them. I tell the I tell the postman stop bringing Williams to me. He goes, well, what is that, Doc? I'm like, bills. <laughs> <laughs> stop sending me so many Williams. That's it. Yes. No, no more Williams. <laughs> no more Williams. Yeah. That's it. Today we talk about an emerging career opportunity in healthcare. That is being a physician assistant. And here at Vicky Doe Fitness, our philosophy is embracing all of the dimensions of wellness, total well-being, because by doing so, we are able to incorporate all the necessary components of life to enhance our health and well-being. And so one of the dimensions of wellness is vocational health. That is preparing for and participating in work that provides personal satisfaction and life enrichment that is consistent with your values, goals, and lifestyle. It is also contributing your unique gifts, skills, and talents to work that is personally meaningful and rewarding. And so that is why we bring in folks, we try to bring in folks that talk with us about careers and career opportunities so that we can share with you and you can be aware of the opportunities out there. When it comes to the future outlook of healthcare careers and opportunities, according to the occupational handbook, um, you can look under the category healthcare occupations, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. It says employment in healthcare opportunities or healthcare occupations is projected to grow 15% from 2019 to 2029, much faster than the average of all occupations, adding about 2.4 million new jobs. And so healthcare opportunities or healthcare occupations are projected to add more jobs than any of the other 
occupational groups. And so in this episode, we are going to focus on the emerging career opportunity of a physician assistant. Joining us today is Dr. Sharon Luke, an executive director for the Accreditation Review Commission on Education for the Physician Assistant, and that is ARC-PA. Now, she will be sharing with us information about the field of physician assistance, what it takes to become one, the best programs offered throughout the U.S., and, of course, how much money you will get paid and much, much more. And so we can't wait to talk more with her today. Right, Dee? Absolutely. Yes, indeed. So make sure you subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast show. It's all about health and fitness. Vicky Doe Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and any other place that you listen to your podcast. And when you subscribe, you will be notified when we post new podcasts and you will definitely be the first to know. And yes, we are consistently scheduling great guests to join us in talking about important topics and concerns that affect our health and well-being and our communities. And so make sure you subscribe so you won't miss out. We definitely can't wait to hear all the wonderful things that you are going to be saying about this show. Make sure, I I never really say that, but make sure you take the time and give us a good review. Also, make sure you check out our Vicky Doe Fitness Health and Wellness website, vickydofitness.com. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter, our email list to receive updates as well about our new health webinars and training and our online programs. Right now, we are showcasing our step-by-step weight loss boot camp masterclass program. It's our online health and wellness program. It's a 12-week comprehensive weight loss program. We want you to check that out. Also, sign up so you can get a taste of what we do. Sign up for our free course and webinar training. Get back to healthy living. All of these programs, these health and wellness programs, they are there for you to participate in and to get that healthy transformation that you have always (laughs) wanted. So let's get started, folks. You can do it. The year is almost over. Knocking the door in. Knocking the door in. Don't let this year pass without you, you know, going back getting back to your healthy living goals. And so we can help you by going to our vickydofitness.com training, the website, and you will find all that information, how we can help you. You will sign up for our programs. And yes, we can't wait to get it started. What do we always say, D? <laughs> we want to thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Well, Dee, yes, I'm enjoying this Indian summer because, you know, this is Ohio. I know. This is Ohio, and sometimes we don't get that. No, we don't. I mean, it'll be snowing tomorrow. I mean, the saddest thing is my pool closed yesterday. I mean, that's the end of a summer era, the end of an era. When your pool closed, huh? your pool clothes that's it and then now i got to look at putting all that stuff up on the patio gotta put it up oh this is so depressing and then think about looking out there five feet of snow in january oh i know but hey we just keep on living in spite of you know and yeah that's all we can do that's all we can do And yeah, most especially now with all this crazy stuff happening, every time you look on TV, it's something else going on. Isn't that something? I know. It's crazy. I know. It's crazy. Crazy. How have you been doing? Well, busy. You know, busy. I had the weekend off last week, but uh, it seems that I was just saying with sharing with you today that your honey sweet Dr. Doe and I are seriously in the trenches. I mean, I feel like we're in a mass unit like the, like military you know, going from bed to bed to bed, thumbs up or thumbs down. This COVID thing is surging us. And people, I think what's happening is, as they predicted, 
there was a prediction mm-hmm. the fall there was going to be a surge because people will get quarantine fatigue. People are moving back into your house, you know, where they're multi-generational people in the home and one person gets it and gives it to everybody else. And what they predicted is happening, which is why I tell everybody, go get your flu shot because you don't want flu and COVID to merge together. That's it. So, yeah. So yeah. it's, it's uh, they predicted this and I didn't believe it. Well, now, you know, we're hoping that in terms of a flu surge, that if you look at what's happened in the Southern Hemisphere, Australia and South America and all of that, they didn't have a big influenza surge because people were masking, social distancing, and, and washing their hands. So maybe we won't see that here, but people still need to go get their flu shot. Yes, go get your flu shot, people. Go get your flu shot. Exactly. So what is going on this week, Dee? Everything. Well, I have something hot off the press. Okay. Serena Williams, she just withdrew from the French Open. She withdrew. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, she says she has a lingering left Achilles tendon injury and that she could barely walk. So she just got out. Because I have the, I just happened to look on my app to see when she was going to play today. And they just announced at 1230 p.m. today that she withdrew. And this other woman, Karen Koba, by default, won, which is sad. <laughs> that is sad. But, hey, injuries, yeah. What we always she say. Play on an injury. I mean, that could mess her up for life. Yeah, she can't play on an injury. Yes. No, she can't play on an injury. That'll just her Achilles heel. You know that you need that for balance and walking and everything. A major isn't that important. No, it's not. So yeah, well, we hope you know any of those injuries with the heel, the ankle. It takes yep. a it takes a long time to heal. So hopefully, I don't know. It does. I don't know. I had a tendon rupture, and people don't understand. Tendons don't really have a blood supply, so it takes them longer to heal than a broken bone. Big uh, time. They just have to mend back together. I think it took, when I ripped my lateral collateral ligament, I had to stop running for almost eight months mm-hmm. while that thing healed. Mm-hmm. That Achilles thing is no joke. It's no joke. And so, yeah, well, wow. That's sad. We wish her well, though. We wish her well. Yeah, we wish her well. That's all we can say. We wish her well. We want to remind people that October is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And so according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, breast cancer is the second most common cancer among women in the U.S. Some kinds of um, skin cancer are the most common as well. Now, black women and white women get breast cancer at about the same rate, but black women die from breast cancer at a higher rate than white women. Now, each year in the United States, about 250,000 cases of breast cancer are diagnosed in women and about 2,300 in men. About 42,000 women and 510 men in the U.S. die each year from breast cancer. Black women have a higher rate. That's what we want to make sure that we tell folks, a higher rate of death from breast cancer. Now, breast cancer can be, and that's why I included this, because a lot of times when we talk about breast cancer, right, D, we we don't really think about men, but men get breast cancer as well. Yeah, they do. Men get breast cancer as well. And so... About one out of every 100 breast cancer are diagnosed in the USA, and it is found, the diagnosis is found in a man. So let's not, let's not exclude our men. um, Absolutely not. Yeah, from getting breast cancer. It is important we encourage people one way to fight against breast cancer is to spread the awareness, but also early detection. And so we encourage everyone during Breast Cancer Awareness Month 2020, go for a medical checkup, get a mammogram because it might save your life. Be proactive and do self-breast exams as well. Breast health care is important. Knowing and being aware may save your life. According to the American Cancer Society, when breast cancer is detected early and is in the localized stage, the five-year relative survival rate is 
99%. So early detection is the key. It includes doing monthly breast self-exams and, of course, scheduling regular clinical breast exams and mammograms. And so for more information on what you can do, how you can spread awareness in your community, and to donate, go to nationalbreastcancer.org. So what do you have to say, Dee? Well, a couple of things. Number one, I think, and I stand to be corrected, hopefully we will have an expert come on and talk to us about breast cancer. More black women tend to have more aggressive form of breast cancer, the triple negative, which occurs more in young women. So their cancer is not hormone receptive, which has a tends to have a better prognosis. But there's also a rainbow in the cloud. My mother is 102, and she's a 35-year breast cancer survivor. Uh, she was diagnosed in 1984. Wow. So, um, you know, they, the, the five-year survival, like they said, if, if, if caught early, uh, is it's the great is the 99% as you said. So, yeah, so it is important that we spread the word and for you guys to be proactive, go get yourself checked out. You talked about this, you know, that everybody's talking about it now with the new Supreme yeah. Court appointee. They're talking about this woman, oh. Amy, and she has five biological children and two adopted children from Haiti. Mm. Amy Coney Barrett is her name, and she was appointed or she was nominated last week by President Trump to uh, fulfill the, nobody can fulfill her shoes, but to fill the seat of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who sadly passed a couple of weeks ago. She's already a judge, circuit judge on the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. She's originally from New Orleans. Uh, she comes from a family of seven kids and they're a Catholic family. And so, you know, her, her politics are a little certainly different than Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So now goes the process of confirming her in Congress. But I just found it very interesting from a, you know, sociological standpoint that she has, um, she's married to uh, a, another law school Notre Dame graduate, and she has seven children, five biological children, and her youngest biological child has Down syndrome, mm. and she has two kids that she adopted from Haiti. And I'm trying to remember when she adopted these kids. I think it was right after the last earthquake that Haiti had. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I just thought it was very interesting that, you know, and there's a lot of controversy about her stance on abortion and her being conservative and so forth. But I guess if you had to pick somebody, you know, that that tugs at your whatever it tugs at that she has been willing to adopt children who are from a different culture, different race and ethnicity, and that she also is a young mother with, a you know, a child who has special needs. Right. And so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you just sort of um, go, okay, well, so she has different politics and so forth. Maybe we'll see how this shakes out. I mean, she, this is, you know, at 40-some years old. She was born in 1972. This is a lifetime position, so she could be in there for another 50 years. But I thought that was a, a, a very interesting human interest story about her. Uh, yes. A lot of folks are saying negative things about, you know, the whole her adopting Haitian children. Yeah. You know, but yeah. but I say it's none of our business. It's it's none of my business either. You know, I guess, <laughs> you know because there's all this controversy. Should children of different ethnicities be raised by somebody else of a just different ethnicity? And you know, it also gets to that thing: should children be raised by two gay parents and mm-hmm. all of that? I, I don't. You know, I children need love. Yes, they do. You know, and my friend, you know, Dr. Lolita McDavis, Child Advocacy and Protection at Rainbow Babies and Children, and she's always calling me about some child abuse, something that she sees. So, you know, I see two parents or a parent and significant other of the same race abusing a child or children. And so what can you say? I mean, 
children need love. They need encouragement. They need uh, foundation. So, but I would like the families that I know who are raising children of different ethnicities, and, and they're mostly white families that are, uh, have children of a different ethnicity. All of them that I know are making sure that they are aware of their culture. Yes, and that's important. All of them are making sure that that child or children are aware of their culture, and no way are they trying to block that. And many of them, once kids get older or whatever, have encouraged them to try to find their own, their biological parents. Okay. You know, I don't see anything wrong with it, especially since we see so much child abuse today in this country with people of the same ethnicity having children. Yes, and I think it's great. Most especially, I think, I agree with you, when it comes to children, hey, yes, yes, love the kids, love the children, and also make sure that we, as parents, because, you know, we could adopt, black families can adopt other ethnic. Absolutely. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. And so let's make sure that we love them and that we expose them to their culture, you know. And I think it will just be best. I think, hey, it's a lot of kids out there. Even here, that's what I really want to, that we talk about the adoption um, services around here. But it's, yeah. a, it's a lot of African-American kids. Yeah. Th- they are not having that opportunity. They're not being adopted. Oh, so so right. cu- kudos for folks that are doing that. Mm-hmm. These kids might not, if they, I, I was looking on her, her bio, one child was, was adopted in 2005 and the other one was adopted in 2010. And I mean, these kids might not have had any chance at all to mm-hmm. do anything in Haiti. I know. I mean, one of the poorest countries in the world, you know, and there are those that say, well, you know, they're black kids. Well, then you adopt a black child. Yes. You know what I mean? Or black children. Yes. Uh, don't not what somebody else is doing. Then you step forward and adopt. And, you know, it's not only that adoption thing, Vicki, but the foster care system. Yes. So when kids get 18, I wasn't aware that they have to leave the foster care home. Wow. So there are a lot of kids in foster care that need adopting and, and that sort of thing. And especially, like you say, especially black children. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to pass judgment on somebody who's trying to give two kids that might not have had any chance at all to do anything. That's it. Kudos to her. That's what I say. Kudos to her. I don't agree with her politics. But Me either. Her from a human interest standpoint. Yes, and hopefully she would think about that if she's nominated right. and if she's appointed. But hopefully she would think about that when she looks. At the country, the health care and all of that. Exactly. Exactly. There it is. <laughs> and as far as Gunt will say, that's all we're going to say about that. The next one, remember the emotions? I used to love the emotions growing up. Oh, my goodness. That 1977, because I was pregnant with my son, Todd. Uh-huh. That's when the emotions came out with all their don't ask my neighbor. And yes. God, I mean, when I saw that she had died, I'm like, that's the end of an era. One of the great female singing groups. Yeah. Big time. Big time. Yeah. And so yeah. they were sisters. They were sisters. And so, yeah, she, she, um, Pamela, Pamela Hutchison, she died Friday, September the 18th. Oh. Yes. And they said she was 61. And then it was reported, yeah. it was reported by CNN that she died. And they said the post read Pam succumbed to health challenges that she'd been battling for several years. And so, yeah. Yeah, they didn't say exactly what she had. Right. Yeah, I just thought about that, and I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Those were the songs. You're right. Those were the songs. And they had oh. such a beautiful sound together. You know, just such great melodies, such great lyrics. Yes. Yes, indeed. All right, Dee, so what's the latest out there? The latest is yesterday I heard, and I've got to bet this. I heard it on CNN yesterday. 
So there's a company out there that is promoting a cocktail that they have now that's in, I think, phase three clinical trials that has some good, and this is, now this is a therapy, not a vaccine. That's a therapy with a combination of antibodies that looks good in treating patients with COVID-19. So, oh. you know, as I was talking to somebody last night, this is going to be like HIV when we started out with uh, AZT, and then we progressed to from one drug to two drugs, and then we finally got a cocktail that worked. And I envision that someday, however many years, hopefully shorter than it took for HIV, that we're going to come up with this, you know, cocktail like they're working on. And maybe that in conjunction with a vaccine will be make it such that like HIV today where it's just, you know, HIV is just another chronic. In this country, let's put it this way, in this country is a chronic disease that can be treated. Okay, well, that's good news, I guess, huh? Yeah, that's very good news, yeah. Well, thank you, Dee. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicky Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Okay, well, today we talk about the emerging healthcare career opportunity in the field of physician assistant. And our vocational health is important and it's necessary for our total health and well being. And so it is important that you prepare for and participate in work that provides personal satisfaction and life enrichment that is consistent with your values your goals and lifestyle. For some of you, finding a career in the healthcare field may be a fulfilling career for you. According to the Outlook Handbook of the U.S. Bureau Labor Statistics, employment in healthcare occupations is projected to grow 15% from 2019 to 2029, much faster than the average of all occupations adding about 2.4 million new jobs. And so today joining us is Dr. Sharon Luke, an executive director for the Accreditation Review Commission on Education for the Physician Assistant. And so she will be sharing with us information about the field of physician assistants, what it takes to become one, the best programs offered throughout the U.S., the salary, and much, much more. And so let's listen right now to the interview with Dr. Sharon Luke. Now here with us today is Dr. Sharon Luke, who is the Executive Director for the Accreditation Review Commission on Education for the Physician Assistant, ARCPA. Now this is the accrediting agency that defines the standards for physician assistant education and evaluating PA physician assistant programs in the United States to ensure compliance. Dr. Luke is here with us today. She will be sharing with us more information about ARCPA and her important leadership role as its executive director and how the field of physician assistants offer career opportunities in healthcare. 
And in doing so, she will discuss with us just what a physician assistant is, you know, what it takes to become one, the best programs offered throughout the U.S., and the admission requirements, tuition costs, salaries, all of those things. And the most important thing, she will share with us information on the whole doctor-physician assistant relationship and what that means for us in healthcare. So how are you today, Dr. Luke? I am fine. Thank you so much for having me here with you today. Yes. And Dee, what do you say? Uh, We're so happy to have you. Looking forward to our dialogue. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. So Dr. Luke, can you share with us your story, how you became involved in the exciting profession of physician assistants? Mine is probably a very convoluted story. (laughs) I started um, actually as a medical school student at uh, what's now called Neomed in the early or mid-1980s and decided that that wasn't the route for myself. And so I went on to graduate school and did some work in molecular microbiology before um, looking back at medicine as a profession. And so uh, when I was doing my research about what my next steps could be, I looked at PA and I looked back at medical school. And I was really interested in what I found out about being a PA. I had started working at Cleveland Clinic in tissue typing and cytogenetics in the lab. And I met a PA and we started to talk because I was in the process of applying to PA school and came to realize that this really was something that I was interested in doing. So after becoming a PA, I worked in a private practice OBGYN office and then moved and worked in Cleveland Clinic in palliative medicine. And I finished my clinical phase of work at Mercy Hospital in Canton doing occupational medicine. As I was entering the PA profession, I immediately became an instructor for my alma mater in Cleveland. And when the program director left, um, I was teaching and they asked who was going to be the new program director. And my old faculty member said, why not you? (laughs) So that was a little bit of a surprise (laughs) to hear, but I ended up being the program director and stayed at uh, Cuyahoga Community College's PA program for some time and then moved on to create um, from the ground up the University of Mount Union's PA program Mm -hmm. um, in 2008. That time led me to being a site visitor for the accrediting body and working um, as a volunteer on the commission. And soon after, the executive director had decided that uh, it was time for him to retire after almost 40 years. And he looked to me to say, I think maybe you might be a great fit for this role. I was very involved with accreditation and found it valuable to programs and to their development and their improvement for quality assurance. And so I was really excited at the prospect of becoming the executive director. And I took over that role in 2016. So I've been executive director of ArcPA since uh, 2016, but I've been involved with ArcPA since the early 2000s. That's a great story. That's a long convoluted story. (laughs) No, it's a great story. story. (laughs) Yeah, and it just shows how you... (laughs) You, you just never know where your career, where you're going to be led to. And so, yes, I love it. What about you, Dee? I do, too. What a great story. Yes, indeed. Any regrets? You. <laughs> oh, many, I'm sure. <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm, I'm very happy being a PA. I think it's a dynamic profession. It's been most satisfactory for me. And many of my colleagues, you know, national reporting shows that it's one of PAs are are very happy overall, and over 96% of them would say they would do it all over again if given the choice. So no regrets here. Well, tell us, because people, you know, there's all kinds of nomenclature with, with, with 
physicians, like physician's assistant and all that, explain to us what a, a physician assistant does. PAs are medical professionals, and we diagnose uh, illnesses. We can develop and manage treatment plans. We prescribe medications, and we can often serve as a patient's principal healthcare provider. Uh, we have thousands of hours of medical training, practice in every state and every medical setting and specialty. Um, and our goal is to improve healthcare access and quality. At the practice level, um, there are more similarities, I think, than differences between PAs and NPs, but there are two key differences. First is PAs are educated in general medicine, and we offer a comprehensive view of all aspects of medicine, whereas NPs often are population-focused, and they choose where they will practice. So you're either a pediatric nurse practitioner or a women's health nurse practitioner. In this beginning, you heard me say that I work in at least three different fields, and to do that, I never had to go back to school. I just had to go into the new setting and learn the specifics about that on the job. Second, PAs are trained to practice medicine that uh, we use a curriculum based in medical model, which is very similar to medical school education. The same concepts in the presentation of our material is the same. NPs are trained in advanced practice of nursing, and so they're trained under what's called the nursing model. So there are about 131,000 PAs, and like I said, we're in every state and the District of Columbia. You can find a PA in hospital, a medical office, community health centers, nursing homes, you may see them at Walgreens or uh, CVS in the retail clinics like that. We're in education facilities, workplace clinic, and correctional institutions. And we also serve in the uh, military services, the uniformed services, and we work for federal government agencies like the Department of Veterans Affairs. So all of those are places where you could run into a PA. How long has the PA system been around? I'm trying to think. I know I'm old, but when, when did physicians assist come into play? I've been practicing medicine for almost 40 years. About when? We're 52 years old. So, 1968. Oh, <laughs> the first class okay. of PAs uh, graduated from Duke University in North Carolina. Oh, wow. Okay. That's where I'm from, North Carolina. Okay, great. What's the typical salary for a PA versus a nurse practitioner? Salaries really vary by discipline of practice and how many years of experience a PA has. Okay. But um, I looked at a 2019 PA profile report that was given from um, the National Certification Commission of PAs, and they listed the median salary at about $115,000, with new graduates having just over $95,000 as their starting salary. I don't know how that really compares to NPs. I think it's similar. I would think that salaries vary, of course, according to discipline and practice and years of experience for NPs as well. So what are the demographics like today, you know, in terms of medicine, we have a paucity of, well, first of all, there's a paucity of doctors coming out, but also in terms of demographics, mm -hmm. what about African Americans and the Latinx population for uh, PAs? Well, you know, we're having a lot of conversation about that in our profession right now, and we've always been uh, working to try to make opportunities available for students, but you know, first, and what we found uh, lately is that there is really a paucity of males in the PA profession. It used to be yeah. male-dominated profession mm -hmm. at our origin because it was based and originated from military corpsmen following the Vietnam War. However, we are now at 30 point 
67% males versus the 69.3% females. Out of all of the PAs across the country, yeah, 86.7% are white, 6.6% identify as Hispanic, 6% as Asian, and only 3.6% as African American. And no. so the profession realizes there is a lot that oh, needs to be done goodness. to uh, recruit and then retain African-American students. Also, the average age of, uh, of PAs out there is 38 years old, but we are an aging profession in that one out of seven PAs is over 55. And so, oh, wow. um, you know, there are some of us who are still hanging around well, well into our 60s and beyond because they just love the profession that much. But also, you know, historically it has taken many graduates a second step to become a PA because this is has been in the past a secondary career, not a first career. So tuition ranges, and that's going to depend on whether you're at a public school or a private school. But the average cost is anywhere between eighty-six and eighty-seven thousand dollars to complete PA school, just for tuition. There are also fees depending on the program and its structure. What type of fees students may have may equal another ten thousand dollars a year. And if students are, of course, relocating to attend PA school, additional fees for housing or and support will cost more to students. Well, I thought about and came across the importance of physician assistants when teaching, you know, with me in the field of exercise physiology, we encourage folks they can either go ahead on and get their master's and PhD in exercise physiology, or they go to get prepared to go to the different schools such as occupational therapy, physical therapy, and so on. Well, a lot of the students back in the day, they were hustling to get prepared for to be, you know, physical therapists. And so there was what is called, you know, the saturation in that field. And so I remember telling one of our star students at the time, we had quite a few of them at Kent State University. I used to say, listen, haven't you thought about um, looking into being a physician assistant at that time? I think they had the program, and that's what you were talking about in Cleveland, right? Where, where, where was it at that time? Mm-hmm. So, was, yes. it, was it Cleveland State? or That was Cuyahoga Community College, which also worked at one point um, with Cleveland State University. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So then the, the question was, okay, so what are all the prerequisites and all that kind of stuff? So could you go into some details with that? PAs right now, as of this year, ARC-PA, which is who I work for, has established that by 2020, all PA programs need to be able to grant a master's degree to the students they matriculate this year. So in the past, we have lots of different types of degrees and credentials for PAs, but now PAs are educated at a master's degree level. Admission is highly competitive. There are more than 260 programs in the country, and now they require a bachelor's degree and completion of basic science and behavioral science courses. Some programs also will require that students have about 3,000 hours of direct patient contact experience, maybe working as something like paramedics, athletic trainers, medical assistants in the past. Usually students are uh, required to have things like biology, chemistry, organic chemistry, or biochemistry, and psych, and sometimes medical terminology. And those vary widely, which courses are required very widely program to program. So that's up to regions and whatever the program has decided is best for them. PA programs are roughly 27 months in length, and they include program classroom instruction and more usually than 2,000 hours of clinical rotation experience. So students, you know, I've 
counseled many students over the year, especially if they were coming out of exercise <laughs> physiology or exercise science programs, to say, you really probably have most of the coursework that you need to, to apply to PE programs. And because there are such differences program to program, mm -hmm. I would have students actually make a document for each of the programs they had interest, list out all of the prerequisites for that program, and then make a checklist against their own transcript. Mm. Um, that was a way to see, one, that as you're applying a program that you've fulfilled all of the prerequisites and requirements for entry. And the other thing was to inform the student of what actually was needed and where they could see where they may have a better chance of actually being admitted by doing that little exercise. Wow, so, you can't get away from organic chemistry, can you? <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so, yes, you cannot. Um, it really does. It really does. And, you know, it's important. So many students need that or biochemistry to help them understand, more understand pharmacology, which mm -hmm. is a definite foundational course in PA education. Yes. So I am so glad that you have put that out there because I, you know, mm, I keep telling folks, you got to get those sciences together. Do, for anything, you can't, you cannot run, like you guys say, you cannot run away from the sciences. So there it is. You can't. <laughs> oh, you absolutely can't. So what I think is as a physician, I mean, I really, so I have to tell you that I go to the Cleveland Clinic for some of my care, and I've been going there almost mm -hmm. years, and I have yet to see a physician. I mean, I don't ask to see my mm -hmm. doctor, the physician assistant that I have, I love her, but mm -hmm. physician, and I, I know a, a friend of mine who's an orthopedic surgeon, and most of his patients are seen by the physician assistant, the patients love that physician assistant. I, I don't want to say it, but it's, you see a move of not taking over for doctors, but certainly fulfilling that great boy when we have a doctor shortage. I think that's a place that PAs can sit. We're very committed to team practice with physicians and other health care providers. So that's first. I don't I don't know that PAs want to necessarily practice fully, you know, without being part of a medical team. So right now most states require PAs to have an agreement with a specific physician in order to practice. And during my time in Cleveland Clinic, I certainly had a lot of physicians on that agreement, you know, listed on that agreement because sometimes I was seeing the patient uh, and sometimes the physician was seeing the patient. So these uh, agreements were part of the early process, you know, 50 years ago, the practice acts when PAs uh, were new and kind of untested. But there are some states that are now passing new policies for optimal team practice, or OTP, which will require that there not be a, a specific relationship between the doctor and the PA, but that they're part of a team to take care of medical care. So it's not so much that PAs are now having to be always supervised by physicians, but that they are practicing in collaboration with physicians on their medical team. So they're, you know, the PA has a role and the physician has a role to provide the uh -huh. quality patient care as a team. So we're seeing some of that happen. I believe that Michigan has that now as its guiding principle, as well as New York, I believe, has that OTP type of terminology now as it relates to PAs and physicians. I also see a PA, uh, for, and I haven't seen the physician <laughs> for my that particular practice in probably two years either. But, um, uh -huh. you know, I love my PA. I love the way that she handles and manages my care. And I honestly don't feel that if, you know, if I needed the physician or if we needed the physician, I know that he would be there to um, right. come in and give another perspective. Right. But 
you know, the, the PA is, is more than capable to handle what I'm going for. And this is coming from a doctor. I find that, and I don't want, and I'm a physician, so I don't want to talk about my profession, but, you know, I just find that I can talk to her. She doesn't seem to be rushed. And, you know, it's not like we say we're backing out of the door mm-hmm. and walk in, <laughs> you know, kind of right. thing. Um, <laughs> and that, that so, has yeah. been our um, reputation as a whole. And, of course, and the reality is it depends on where the PA works. And so, yeah, PAs, you know, they take medical histories and they conduct physicals and, like I said, they diagnose and they order and interpret tests. But one of the things that has endeared PAs to patients is that we are really focused on providing them counsel on preventive care and listening to what they have to say about their care. We're trying to get some buy-in from the patient to want to comply and so we're willing to take the time and we recognize that that may be difficult for some physicians and actually in honesty it's difficult for some PAs depending on the type of practice that they have. I would say for folks out there to really think about if you're interested in the healthcare field to really think about being a physician assistant because, you know, I guess, speaking from you guys, you appreciate that relationship with a physician assistant. So it doesn't just have to be the doctor relationship. It can be your physician assistant. How's that? I completely agree. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This is, you know, the profession has grown a lot in the last um, few years. So there was more than a 300 increase in PAs from 2011 to 2014, and we're looking at a potential increase again from of 31% from 2018 to 2028. Again, I think that it's a wonderful profession. There's plenty of opportunity. The demand is maintained, so usually 75% of PA graduates receive multiple job offers when they're finishing their programs. And that's, that's important to know um, mm-hmm. if you're going to a program or any type of educational program that costs as much as a PA program does, you know, eighty six to $87,000 is the mean, we certainly want you to understand that there will be a return on that investment mm-hmm. for you. And we really are seeing that even in the midst of COVID, where we've never seen so many PAs furloughed. Mm. Um, we still have a large proportion of our PAs working their job and coming back after being furloughed. So it, it is a strong profession. So what are the most popular specialties that physician assistants they choose? Or is it just, you know, regular? Or is it is it popular? What, what popular ones? OBGYN? What? Which ones? Yeah, just this past year. So PAs are in all of that. They're in GYN, they're in addiction services, but the most popular places that PAs end up, and it just changed this year, and surgical subspecialty beat out everything else. Usually our number one has been family medicine. Yeah, it's usually family medicine and general medicine, but for the first year in a long time, family medicine and general medicine is second, and it's really close with 18.7% 18.7% in the surgical specialties and 18.6% in family medicine or general medicine. And then our third uh, is ER medicine with about 12.8% of PAs working there. But again, it's anywhere that you can find a patient, you know, I like to say, anywhere you can find a patient, you can probably find a PA as well. Well, one of the things that I like, and you were talking about the predominance of women, um, and and we do need to fix that issue with men, and we're having the same situation with medical students and residents and so forth. We're probably black men, but I see so many women PAs in surgical subspecialties that are predominantly male. And what I love is that I'll go in the chart and I'll see this really nice note, an erudite note, da-da-da, and it's from a female PA in urology or orthopedic surgery or neurosurgery. Or, and I'm like, I'm feeling like really proud because he essentially is functioning as a physician because that's how they are. They do. Their notes stuff are great. So I'm just really happy to see that, you know? 
Yeah, it's great. And it is great. I mean, this profession probably has that. And I remember saying this to students as they were making their inquiries about what should I do? Should I should I be a PA? You know, I want a family is what someone of female would often say to me. And, you know, the beauty of this profession to date has been that I could change without having to go back I can change what discipline I work in. So if I wanted to work in something like cardiothoracic surgery, you know, where there are 16-hour days and it never ends and you're going from patient to patient and, you know, surgical procedure to surgical procedure, you can do that. And then if I suddenly want to say, you know what, that's enough of that, I think I want to try something else. I think I want to go and work in family medicine for a while. You potentially could do that. There's nothing that that prohibits it except who's ever doing the hiring. Our skill sets um, that are taught in PA school are foundational and generalist with the idea that mobility is probable and possible in this profession. That said, you think, what was your thoughts about the careers? Do you think they will steadily increase the careers for physician assistants in the future? And then, you know, tell us why you think so. Why you think there will be a need for physician assistants? I think there will be a need. I used, a few years ago, I used to say, and I still will say, it all depends, a lot of it depends on what happens with our government. So if our government decides to create a medical system that allows Americans to have access to medical insurance coverages, I believe we will see more Americans seeking health care. If we have a system that doesn't, we still have a population that will require health care as we continue to age. So I think that there is room for PA growth on a continuum. I don't think that we're going to see it fizzle away too soon. But I really think it depends on what happens with medical provision for our country, Mm. how much that is going. I also know that PAs are also growing across the world. So there are PAs practicing in Germany, in the Netherlands, in Switzerland. And so we will see more PAs over time, but also in this country, we will continue to see the growth. And so what would you say to all of the folks out there listening that maybe have that interest to pursue the career of being a physician assistant and then tell them or inform them. No, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say what is the best school, where would be the best school, because that wouldn't be cool to, to, <laughs> to say that. But at least, you know, give encouragement to folks that are out here there to, you know, thinking about being a physician assistant. So absolutely. So <laughs> it's a fun question, but it made me really laugh um, because my job is to assure that PA programs that are open and standing are of a particular quality, that they're meeting the accreditation standards set by our PA for PA education. So when schools are not meeting those quality marks that we expect, there's trouble. They're either on probation or they have some adverse action taken against them by my commission. And so the the really bad ones are closed. The ones who need to improve are on probation. And the others are out there. And they're all listed on our website. Mm-hmm which is at www.arc-pa.org. You can see which programs are there. That's for the public. You can, if you're interested in a program, you can look up that program's accreditation history and see if they've had any issues with us as a commission. So those are ways that you can get information about the program. We also require that programs put up certain success measures 
that they're able to tell us how well did your students do with passing the national board exam the first time. Mm. And we want to know that those students going through those programs are able to actually, after spending all that money, pass the exam that's required for practice in every state. So those are the things. There's no one best program. I used to always say this to students who were applying even to the programs that I ran. If you don't get into a program, it's all it's all about fit. What's the best fit for you? So you could actually match and be accepted by a particular program, but is it the right program for your needs at the time? You should try to match a program's teaching methodology with your strengths, their schedules with your availability. You should try to make sure that it feels homey to you to attend a certain program and that you're not always feeling like the alien in the room. But that's a decision that an individual needs to make. Most PA programs do a fantastic job of educating their students. And their details on my website and should be on the program's website to help someone understand if that program is living up to the expectations. I think that is the most important thing that I can tell somebody is research the schools you intend to go to. I have interviewed um, candidates for slots in the PA program who said, I don't know anything about this program. I just thought it was a pretty campus, and so here I am. (laughs) That's not likely going to get you in the PA school. But what does help get you in the PA school is if you get the chance to shadow a PA. Mm -hmm. And when you do, ask questions. Ask questions like, what do you love about your job? What do you hate about your job? If you had to do this all over again, would you? What just drives you up a wall, you know? Mm -hmm. And those are important things to do. It's not just that the person that you're asking a question of, that you should exactly match them, but you will hear information that mirrors your own feelings and you know yourself best. Is this a job, first of all, for you? Not only shadow PAs, shadow other professions. Mm -hmm. Do you even know what a perfusionist is? Mm -hmm. So many people don't, but that profession uh, was out there. I don't know if it's out there so much anymore. (laughs) It's all automated now, I think. But those are types of healthcare professions that were out there that people didn't know exist. Do you know what a nuclear medicine tech is? These are some other things that might be of interest. Shadow some of those people if you can. It may be a little tougher now that COVID is out, but at least talk to them and see um, how their experiences relate. How do you relate to those experiences or those frustrations or those uh, things that are part of their everyday? And then if you shadow a PA, don't shadow one type of PA. Shadow a PA who's an inpatient. Shadow someone who's outpatient. Shadow someone, if you can, in the emergency room or the surgery suite. There are a lot of different experiences you're going to see. My girlfriend and I worked in the same department, two floors away from each other in Cleveland Clinic. I worked in palliative medicine, and she worked for Hemonc in the bone marrow transplant floor. Both of us PAs, both very different experiences on the same day. Once in a blue moon, we could meet for lunch, and we would tell each other how our day was going. And even though we worked overall for the same big department, we had completely different experiences on any given day. So it's important to shadow and to see what exactly is out there. So anything else, Dee, you would like to add? I love this. No, I, no, this is fantastic. I, I have learned so much. Yeah, so we definitely want to thank you, Dr. Luke, for coming and sharing with us about the field of physician assistant. And so give us again, well, first of all, tell us how people can get in touch with you, but give us again that website for people to go to. What was the website? Sure. The website is for ARCPA, which is A-R-C hyphen P-A. The website address is www.arc-pa.org. 
Okay. And then you can look up currently accredited programs, and we list them out by state. And I can be reached. Similar address is Sharon Luke at arc-pa.org. All right. So thank you very much. <laughs> thank you so much. You are welcome. Yes, you were great. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it very much. All right. Now, this is our show, Dee. Do you have some tips that we should think about? Well, I just thought the interview was fabulous. You know, I work with, with not, they're not in my, well, yeah, they are. We do have a physician, a couple of physician assistants that we work with in infectious diseases. But I just found, I found her presentation was just fantastic. We were so happy to have her on our show today. A, a lot of really important information uh, in a field that I was surprised to find that had been around for 50 years. But, I know. Um, want to thank her so much. I didn't know it was around that long, 52 years. I had no idea. Wow. So it definitely has evolved, I would say, don't you think? Yeah. Yes. And so we are so happy that Dr. Sharon Luke came and to learn more about the field of physician assistant, go to www.arc-pa.org. And for more information, as always, go to our website, www.vickidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com. <laughs>